The old saying goes that there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. Of course, I would also add the Minnesota Vikings breaking their fans' hearts every year, but that's neither here nor there. The thing about this is that people can find a way to avoid taxes. There are offshore accounts. There's uh, laundering money. There, is, there are all sorts of tax shelters and ways around paying taxes. People have been figuring it out for years. None of it's legal. Certainly don't recommend it. But taxes can be avoided. It's not necessarily a certainty if you don't want it to be. The same cannot be said for death. There are no, there are no shelters from death. There's no offshore account where you can bank extra life and avoid it. There's no nonprofit benefits that get you out of the certainty of passing away. Death is actually a certainty for all of us. It's a thing that we cannot avoid. The certainty of death is one of the defining themes of Ecclesiastes. It might be fair to call it the defining theme in a lot of ways. Because we started off looking at vanity of vanities, the, the fact that all things pass away. Well, ultimately, that is because death is a certainty. And the way that Ecclesiastes presents death is as the defining boundaries of life. Death determines what is possible, how long things last, how we pursue things, how we view things. It is the lens through which we view life, ultimately. Now, of course, we uh, in the Western world love to deny this. We hate thinking about death, and we love to deny its existence. There are, there are billion-dollar industries built around anti-aging and fitness and diet, and there's all this research that says if you do this, it will add years to your life, except that there's no such thing as anti-aging. You don't stop time. Things keep going. You can stop wrinkles. You can't stop time. You can stay fit. You can't stop time. We adopt pets from the Humane Society and say that they're getting their forever home. Well, for about 12 years. We've taken the word forever and, and changed its meaning because the reality of death is something that we absolutely steadfastly hate acknowledging. And Ecclesiastes will not let us do that. It confronts us with the reality of mortality consistently throughout its pages. And it's a good thing that Ecclesiastes does this too, because if we deny the reality of death, it's, it's no less out of touch with reality than pretending we're one of the Avengers or we're a fairy princess or we're Doctor Who or some other fantastical character that is completely unreal. Denying death is just unplugging from reality and trying to live a life that is, that's detached. So we have to acknowledge the reality of death in order to live life well. But that doesn't mean that we need to feel good about it. Acknowledging death is not a fatalistic shrug that just sort of goes, well, guess we're all going to kick the bucket someday. We're allowed to hate death. We're allowed to loathe death. Because death is a mark of Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God and a curse was put on the world, death became a reality. But it is not the reality that God intended for us, and it is what Ecclesiastes calls an evil. So, just because we're acknowledging death doesn't mean we're making peace with it, and it doesn't mean that, that we're okay with it or just kind of shrugging it off. We are acknowledging the reality that it creates in which we live under the sun. So I said earlier that death is the lens through which we view reality. That's because it sets the boundaries on reality. 
So it doesn't actually remove the meaning from life. So talking about the certainty of death does not mean that life is worth less or we have less to live for. It actually does the opposite. Death concentrates and and packs life full of meaning. The good things that we get in this life, the relationships, the gifts from God, the, the beautiful aspects of life are more concentrated, more densely packed because there is an end point. So living in the reality of death, living in the boundaries of mortality doesn't take away the meaning of life. It intensifies the meaning and purpose and even happiness of life. Yes, there is this thing that's, that's hovering there that we hate and we loathe, but while we live, we live a more concentrated, more focused, more intensified life of purpose and goodness, living the life that God has given us. Remember, this is a gift from God for these days that we have. So this brings us to two questions. And the first is this, are we willing to accept our mortality? We don't want to, it's dark, it's bleak, we hate looking down the road and going, my life will come to an end. So we don't want to do this. But the alternative is living in fantasy land. It's living detached from reality. It's wasting the days that God has given us because we're not living with the intensified purpose, happiness, gratitude that he intends us to live with. And the only way that we can willingly accept the reality of our pending death is by fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord means we are putting God at the forefront, the reality of his eternity, and lifting our eyes above the sun to this glorious reality with God. And we know we are able to do this because on the cross, Jesus Christ declared, it is finished. What was he saying was finished? He was saying his work was finished. He was saying he had accomplished his mission. And he was essentially looking death in the face and saying, you're done. You're through. I have conquered you. So in Christ, death no longer holds any power over us. Yes, it is an evil. Yes, it comes for us all. But it is not this terrifying, staring over our shoulder, uh, grim reaper monster that we dread. It is simply the boundary before we enter into eternity with Christ. So with that in mind, we get to the second question, which is how do we live life under the sun, life defined by mortality, well? How do we live a life defined by death? I already mentioned one wrong way to do it, and that is to pretend that death doesn't exist. So we're not doing that. The opposite of that is sort of a doom and gloom, crushed, this is all for naught, why are we even here, what are we even doing, and essentially kind of holding up and withdrawing and just waiting out the days we have. But as Christians, we can't do that either. We're not called to just wait until death because that's just, that's just disposing of the days we have like trash. Earlier I described death as the boundaries and the confines so that inside that life is more concentrated and more purposeful. That's how we live. We live each day, each week, each year as if this is a gift given by God to be used, to be, to be grateful for, to be lived to its fullest, to do something meaningful with, to, with to, to just extract the enjoyment out of because it is a good gift from God. Because Ecclesiastes, it, it really entreats us, it implores us to use life, to spend life, and to invest life. And here's what Ecclesiastes and really the whole arc of Scripture promises. If we take the life that God has given us and we use it well, 
whether that's 20 years or 40 years or 105 years. When we reach our dying day, that no longer is a thing that we must dread. It is a thing that becomes an invitation. We have given our lives, used our lives, spent our lives, invested our lives, and been grateful for the life that God has given us. And then we are invited into the eternal rest with Christ, where we will one day see the resurrection of the body. Death is not permanent for those in Christ. So mortality under the sun is not our defining reality. It's the defining reality of Ecclesiastes, because it's just trying to focus the picture. It's not our defining reality. For us, eternity with Christ, eternal life with Christ, is that defining reality, and death is conquered. Remember the parable of the talents in Matthew uh, that Jesus tells? And it's a, it's a story of um, a rich man who has servants, and he's departing on a journey, and he gives three of his servants a certain amount of money. That's what talents are, just money. And he gives the first one five talents, and the second servant two talents, and the last servant one talent. And he basically is asking them to use this money well until his return. And he departs, and while he's away, um, the, the first servant takes his five talents and invests it wisely, uses it wisely, and doubles the money. And the second servant takes his two talents, and he invests it wisely and uses it wisely, and he doubles his money. And the third servant takes his one talent, and he lives in fear, and he buries it. And when the master returns, he addresses the first two servants and promises them greater rewards because he's so pleased with how they used the talents that he had given them and invested them, used them, increased them, made a difference. And when he gets to the third servant, he's angry because the servant lived in fear and he buried that talent and he failed to use it, spend it, invest it, do anything with it to increase the master's property and his kingdom. And friends, that's what we're called to do with our life. Spend it, use it, invest it, put it to work during this concentrated, focused time that God has given us, this, this life defined by mortality. And we do it with gratitude because it is a gift from God.